This episode of the Ministry of Misfits podcast and this awesome shirt are brought to you by a Courageous Clothing Company. Courageous Clothing Company is a Christian family-owned business that specializes in custom designs that they create as well as bulk screen printing of your custom designs as well. When you buy from Courageous Clothing Company, you're not just buying an awesome shirt. You also are helping spread the gospel across the world through the missions that they support, such as this here with Ministry Misfits, as well as with their own designs that have Christian-themed messages sharing the gospel in an awesome and relevant way, or as we say within CSRM and Ministry Misfits, strategically relevant evangelism. Check out their entire line at CourageousClothingCompany.com. The following was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic through Zoom meetings in accordance with local health guidelines. Ephesians 4.15, and it says, and this is from the NIV version, it says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, who is the head that is Christ. And so what I'm going to say is, is that we see the Apostle Paul talking about speaking the truth in love, and again, with society, we either speak the truth or we, we, we speak it in love. And he's asking us to do both. And my, my prayer and my belief is, is that today I spoke it in such a way that you can receive my truth, not the truth for every African-American because all of our stories is different and unique, but my truth um, in a way that, that causes you to love your neighbor just as yourself. Welcome back to the Mr. Misfits podcast. I am Andrew Fouts. With me again is, as he says all the time, the host with the most, Chalmer Williams of the Fatherhood Fridays. Yeah, of the Fatherhood Fridays podcast. Um, if you were with us last week, um, you saw Chalmer's heart for for manhood, for fatherhood, and how God plays into all of that. Um, and today we want to go to another piece of Chalmer. Um, that, you know, maybe a little bit touchy for some people, but it's one that, you know, we, we've said from the beginning within the Ministry Misfits podcast, we're going to touch this stuff because the church needs to be, be at the forefront of a lot of these issues and a lot of reconciliation and a lot of the, the empathy and the understanding of, of what's going on. And you can't really be empathetic if you don't actually know anything about what is going on. So, um, those of you that um, went and did what I said to go follow Chalmer on uh, social media and on his website may have seen that he was recently a guest on the Gramercy podcast. Um, and on that podcast, he was talking with the host about code switching, about some different systemic oppression stuff, um, about some different cultural divides, racial divides, financial divides. And so we wanted to give Chalmer the opportunity to, to actually share, share it from a biblical perspective 
and not just a cultural perspective because you know all we are all about theology here within ministry misfits we are all about theological truths and we are all about um you know finding those theological truths together and making them applicable you know using our three-tier paradigm method so Chalmer, we're gonna we're gonna start by just give give some people a little bit of a background as far as your childhood growing up, um, you know, and why why these things you know have why these things are relevant to you, why they stand out to you, and you know why you know why 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 should people care why you know your your side of all of this. Well, I mean, <laughs> those are like three or four questions uh, to, to answer in one, you know, <laughs> one breath. I'm, I'm going to try to, no, 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 no. I'm going to try to try to do it the best I can. And so, you know, my, my childhood, you know, um, is, is similar but different um, in a lot of ways as it relates to uh, the African-American community. Um, I know a lot of times, People have this stigma that, you know, your dad's in jail, your mom's on drugs, it's all Section 8. You know, those things, even though they can be true for some, they weren't true for me. But what was true for me is that, you know, I grew up in somewhat of a rough neighborhood. Um, I had both parents. I had a mom and a dad. Uh, my dad passed away at 16, unfortunately. But, I, I, you know, all my siblings came from the same dad. Uh, you know, we, we ate uh, dinner together as a family. Uh, I'm showing my age here. We watched blockbuster movies, <laughs> you know. Uh, you there, know, there's still one in existence, so you know it's not. Yeah, I actually as well. watched that documentary the other yeah. day on Netflix. I was they, surprised. They, they've got a great Twitter account, also. That's pretty funny. If that this is a complete rabbit trail side note, but if you want some good entertainment and you look up the last blockbuster on Twitter, they they put out some very self depressing stuff, but pretty funny. So, sorry, keep going, Chalmer. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, that's. I'm just showing. I'm saying that to show that even though as African-Americans, we might have some culturally different things, we're just the same as the next person. Once you remove the culture, we do right. some of the same things. You, you, you know what I mean? We, when we go to the store, you know, we're, we're not always getting all the healthy, unhealthy food. We're, we're getting eggs, milk, and bread just like the next person. We're, we're going to Blockbuster and getting two or three movies on the weekend and watching it as a family, just like the next person, you, you, you know? And so, uh, you know, those are, those are some of the fond memories I remember as a childhood playing in the backyard, super soakers, you, you know, people, a <laughs> bunch of neighborhood kids, we playing football in the backyard, you know, going to the park, you know, just normal things. And so, you know, as a child, you know, I didn't know, I was in a a community that was filled with gang violence that that dealt with issues of gang culture or drugs until the awareness came into play and I had to experience it. And what I mean have to experience it is, you know, you're playing basketball at the park just with a group of friends and you're in the crossfire with bullets and you can hear your parents call like run, run. And you don't know why you're running. 
you know, or, you know, 16 getting robbed at gunpoint for your shoes, jewelry, IDs, that kind of thing. And that's when it becomes more and more apparent that your community is not uh, as normal as a, a community that is totally suburban. Um, and so I want to kind of stay in this idea of people calling my community the hood or, or calling my community the ghetto, okay? A part of it is because as, and I'm when I say whites, I'm not speaking to you in particular, but I'm speaking to the uh, White systemic culture. racism. Yeah. Right. I'm speaking yeah. to the systemic racism that has been passed down from generation to generation, directly or indirectly. These hoods, these ghettos that you you don't want to step in, you don't want to go to. Unfortunately, through systemic racism, you've actually created them. Right. You've created these hoods because of redlining. You told uh, African-Americans, you only can live on this part of town because of segregation. You only can live on this, this side of town. So you're going to live on a side of town that has a lack of resources, that has lack of education, that has lack of better, whatever. And you're, and you're told you have to not only survive, but you have to thrive on a high level. But you don't have the necessary things to the thrive on a higher level. But then you're looked down upon because it's like, well, you guys are killing each other. You guys are it's drug written over there. It's this it's that. But it was created through racism. And this is why. Yeah, th this is why we wanted, you know, we want to actually touch on this because the. The thing that we unfortunately have seen throughout 2020 is that the unfortunate response from a majority of churches, not all churches, but a majority of churches in general is this attitude of systemic racism, you know, that may have been happening back in, you know, Jim Crow and during the, the civil rights movement of the 60s. But now that we've got the civil rights bill everything's good. Everything's fine. There, there's no repercussions of that, you know, um, hopefully. And I, I do say, hopefully, you know, you never have had somebody say this directly to you, Chalmer, but you know, you do hear, uh, you know, when, when people start talking about, about, uh, racial justice things now where they say, well, you were never actually a slave. So you have nothing to complain about all of these different things. These, these, these stereotypes extend just beyond the, oh, well, if you're black, you do this. Just like when we talked last week about fatherhood of if you're a man, you do this. The stereotypes of if you're black, you do this extend way beyond that to if you live in this area, you do this. If you live in this area, you have this. But, you know, you're a perfect example. You are, you know, you're raised in a, a house with both parents. You've got loving parents. You've got an actual family atmosphere. You've got, you know, good relationships with your friends. And yet you still get stuck in, and thrown into the same type of system that was created by the people that are criticizing the system. 
And it's a very, very sad state that we're in that we even have to still have these kind of conversations in 2021. Because it has a lot to do with privilege. When you're privileged, it's easy to look down upon the next person or, or people of color when you have or have had everything you needed or have had access to it. Think about this term. And I know, you know, I might ruffle a few feathers. Think about this term called white trash. When, when, when people refer to other people as white trash, why do they do that? I would think, and this is my belief and, and research has shown, is that as, a, and I'm not speaking for every white person, but what I'm saying is, is that you've had every oppor- almost every opportunity to have resources, to have privilege, to have access. And it's like if you as a, a, a white person didn't take advantage of that, now you're considered white trash. It's like, how come you couldn't make it? You had all these things available to you and somehow you're still, you know, broke or you're still low income or you're still this and that. And it might not even be your fault, but you see that term white trash is, is kind of showing uh, how privileged whites in America have had it in comparison to, to people of color. Because that's, that's saying like, okay, these are the white throwaways. These are the castaways mm-hmm. that didn't benefit from systemic racism or didn't benefit from things of of that nature. And if we want to go back to the Bible, not to cut you off, we can see that early on when it when it when it uh becomes to the Egyptians and the Hebrews. Right. The the, the Hebrews were enslaved by the Egyptians for you know four hundred years. You know, I'm not, you know, a theologian like Andrew, so you know, don't don't quote me on the exact number, but we can see how long they were enslaved, got stripped from their culture, their identity, and they had to take on a new culture and a new identity um, while they were enslaved. And even even going beyond that, and this is where um, you know we're going to take a quick break here in a minute, and we'll we'll pick up. But uh, you know, pe- people. You know, it, this is one of those things where from a theology standpoint and even from just a cultural theology standpoint, when we start talking about the slaves in Egypt and comparing it to the, you know, the 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 plight of, you know, slavery in the U.S. When you look at what the diff, main difference between how Israel was released from slavery and the way that it happened here in the U.S., the only way that the Egyptians finally let the Israelites go was God had to, you know, send the plagues. And then when mm-hmm. Israel left, they took all of the riches of Egypt with them as if they had just been victorious over the over the Egyptians. And so they actually had a system in place ready to start once they wandered around the wilderness mm-hmm. and made a bunch of mistakes. They already they God God gave them the resources needed to start rebuilding right away, and that's not that's part of what we're talking about today. Is that is not the case 
of what we see here in the U.S. In the U.S., it was just, okay, you're free now, here you go. And so the cycle continues on from here. And that's it, Chalmer, we're going to start breaking this down both in biblical terms and in practical terms and what this actually looks like in society um, once we come back from this short commercial break. Hey, everyone. This is Joshua Knoll with The Whole Church Podcast. Today, I'm here with my co-host, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Yeah, uh, we just wanted to take a moment to tell you about our show. Uh, We are a weekly show, and we talk to leaders in various churches with different backgrounds about what makes their churches unique and how we can all come together as the whole church. And once a month, we'll examine different passages of the Bible that have historically been argued over. That way we can see how we can have better unity and a diversity of beliefs. Right. We look forward to having you join us next Tuesday by searching for our show, The Whole Church Podcast, wherever you are listening now. Hi, this is the Ministry Misfit, Andrew Fouts. I'm also the Director of Digital Resources for CSRM and the producer of Overwhelming Victory Productions. And today we want to talk a little bit about Anchor FM. Part of our job here at Overwhelming Victory Radio is to provide ministries with easy and affordable ways to create their own media content. And one of these ways is Anchor FM. Anchor is a free one-stop studio with tools to allow you to create a custom podcast experience. They do everything from creation tools, distribution tools, and even marketing tools with ads such as this. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Life is too short to live it feeling stuck in a rut. Does your outlook on future possibilities have you asking, is this all there is? Maybe you feel that no matter what you do, your career does not seem to make any significant progress or impact. Maybe your family feels more distant from you than ever. The the truth is, there is so much more for your life, and you are not alone. Beyond the Rut podcast brings you stories of inspiration and practical tips to help you get unstuck in the areas of faith, family, fitness, finances, and future possibility. From those who have journeyed those paths before you. Head over to beyondtherut.com where you'll find episodes to the show, links to where we are syndicated like on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and download our free resource titled Measure It to Make It, where you can create the roadmap for the life you've always dreamed of living beyond the rut. All right, so we are back Um, today. We are here with Chalmer Williams. And we are discussing um, some things that maybe you did not actually fully know or fully understand about what the whole racial racial reconciliation, the whole racial divide, the whole political divide that we've got going on here in the U.S. actually looks like. Um, and that's what Chalmer has come on to try to help us understand from the from his point of view, from the African American point of view, and then as well a biblical mindset of what actually is going on, what the correct response should be, and how the church can get involved in in the process here. So, Chalmer, before the break, we were talking about, you know, you grew up with your family, you grew up with, you know, friends, you grew up, you know, going to Blockbuster because, you know, VHS has still existed. 
you, you know, doing all this, you know, doing all this different stuff. And yet, unfortunately, you still experience the the realities of, you know, gang violence in the neighborhoods of being looked down on because of your skin color, all of these different things. You, you unfortunately still had to go through that, even though you didn't have the, you know, I would say movie stereotype more than an act, you know a reality stereotype, the movie stereotype, media stereotype of, you know, the young black kid that grew up, you know, in an urban environment. So give us, give us some more insight. You know, we talked about the fact that there were these things that actually created these systems and that they, they still exist today, even when unfortunately sometimes the media and unfortunately white, white culture likes to say they don't. You mentioned a couple of them. Um, you know, redlining was a big one. Give us some insight into what redlining actually is and how we how we see it today. Okay, so redlining the term is basically uh, a term that that started uh, through real estate, right? Realtors, and you know them. This is this is during the time of of segregation. This is during the time of we can even go back as far far back as World War Two. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you know blacks, uh, African Americans looking for homes. You know, as they become an adult and as their family begins to expand, and basically being told that you only can live on this side of town because if you live anywhere else, um, you're going to have to deal with overt racism or you might even be killed. And so how does that look like today? Uh, For African-Americans, some of us, I'm not going to say all of us, sometimes we purposely try to, because of our culture being so broken, we purposely try to find communities that look more like us um, so that we can have a sense of our own uh, culture or the, the extreme opposite is that we, we, we try to move into an area where there's hardly any of us mm-hmm. to get away from the, our culture because our communities have been so broken and ran down and now regentrified that we either have to assimilate or stay in a community where it's being changed through regentrification. Right. And, and this is an issue that, you know, it redlining really as a whole and this idea of assimilation or, you know, or, in some cases it's assimilate or, or you're dead, unfortunately. Um, you know, the, these ideas are ones that kind of are the baseline for most of the other systemic issues that we see, you know, throughout, throughout the U S at least. Um, Bradley talked a little bit about how some of this is stuff that you also saw within um, the, the, the white majority there in South Africa, pre Mandela, uh, but this is this is one of those things that unfortunately is somewhat of an Americanized version of the overall issue of ethnic and racial divide. Um, you know, in addition to the the redlining, you also saw, you know, why why is it that those in neighborhoods were so poor? 
because the businesses didn't want to go into those areas. And so they moved them out to the suburbs. You've got issues of the GI Bill when, you know, going back to World War II of, you know, money from the government to buy houses were given to the, the white men that fought in World War II and not to the black men. Um, you know, housing restrictions, job restrictions, even even gang culture and gang violence can be drawn back to this whole idea of redlining. Those of you that aren't familiar with the history of gang culture, you know, gangs started out as more of a protection force than they did as a, a source of about discord and, and, and violence. You know, the even even the for those of you that aren't aware, Crips actually talks about community revolution, I mean building people up, not tearing people down. Bloods was brotherly love, overcoming our destruction. It's all about building each other up, not tearing each other down. But when you are torn down so much, and even when you go and try to get resources and they're stripped from you, um, Jackie Hill Perry, those of you that aren't familiar with her, go check her out, both her rap career, her spoken word career, her her authorship stuff. But one thing she she talks about is the fact that you don't see any Trader Joe's in, in the black neighborhoods. You know, why why do you not have the organic food stores in the black neighborhoods? It's a result of the redlining that was going on. These sort of things continue to cycle through. And Chalmer, this this leads us into the the whole thing of the assimilation, the gentrification, and all of that. What is the reality as far as the the cultural, and I would say this is more of a cultural divide even than a skin divide, at least at the heart of the issue, what is this whole idea of code switching and the relationship between black culture and white culture in terms of, if nothing else, the professional world? Okay. So code switching is, is one of those things that as African-Americans, we, it's almost embedded in us. Like we have to learn it in order to, you know, survive and thrive in the world world. And if it's not taught, it's definitely uh, caught. And what I mean by that is, let's say me and Andrew uh, go in for the same job, whatever job that is, we going in for the same job. Andrew uh, gets to come in with his resume and be 100% of himself. Me as an African-American, oftentimes I have to think about what I'm going to say uh, as far as how my pronunciation sounds, how things sound phonetically, maybe have to tone down the the deepness in my voice um, in order to get the same job that Andrew is applying for. And what that called is code switching. And we do it all the time. There's one way that we sound in front of our constituents and employees. And there's another way we sound amongst our family and close friends. And it's unfortunate. But again, that's a part of the assimilation, because if you're asking for employment, there's a high chance the person you're asking for employment is white. And it, and even if there is, uh, let's say you're, you're there with a black person and a white person, 
right? Or a Hispanic person. The, the people of color that are already hired, they're actually fighting for you to get there. There's been, there's been a few times where I have talked to people that I've been employed through, and the only way that I was hired is because that, that black woman or that Hispanic woman or black man convinced the person that's at the top, which is white, to say, this is the person you want. Mm-hmm. This is the person you want. Without them, I might not have been hired. And even, you know, this is one of those areas that unless you either know somebody that has dealt with this or, you know, you have experienced it firsthand, this is probably something that is very hard to even comprehend being possible, you know, in 2021 in the U.S. So the fact that there can actually be a discrimination, it may not even be a vocal discrimination or even a conscious discrimination among the employer. But that the, you know, you you have a perfect voice for radio, but you even said you were doing some, you were on, you know, auditioning for some voiceover stuff and they wanted you to change your voice to sound more white. You you are you are a radio personality, and yet even there, your voice was not good enough because it was too much of you as an African American and you as Chalmer for the the societal standard that was set up. Um, right. You know, and, and that's why you, you get the term and not to cut you off, Andrew. That's why you get the term called unapologetically black. Right. Because for a lot of us, we're like, and, and part my French, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If right. I assimilate, I'm, I'm still cursed. If I don't assimilate, I'm still cursed. So I might as well, at the end of the day, be myself. And let the chips fall where they may fall. Now, is is this saying being unapologetically black saying you're filled with hatred? No. But what it's saying is, it's saying that I'm going to be 100% my authentic self. Whether you understand it, whether you're inferior of it, whether you don't like it, I'm going to be 100% of myself and I'm going to bring 100% of my culture, my culture being uh, maybe locks, my culture being of an African name. See, these are things that, again, in employment, we have to consciously think about. Like somebody's yeah. name that might be Denisha, she might change it to Dana because on paper it looks too ethnic. And it may even be something where as soon as the employer sees the name and they can't pronounce it, it goes in the trash. You know, they don't even Correct. look at the fact that they've got a doctorate, you know, a doc- you know, they're more qualified the, um, than the employer themselves. If the name doesn't match the, the per- at the cultural perception of that name matches a specific type of person, then it immediately goes in the trash and they avoid everything else. And that, that as kind of is where. Yeah. I mean, as African-Americans, we even have to some of us even have to consciously think about what we're going to name our child. Right. I've had conversations with other friends and people that I know and said, like, I'm going to name my child. Andy, because I want them to have a stronger chance of getting a job. 
you see how deep this runs? I'm going to avoid naming my child what I want, and I'm going to name my child something safe so they have a greater chance of getting a job. And that that is the sad reality. And, and this is where, you know, in the last 10 minutes or so we've got, we want to start start breaking it down. This is not just a professional arena problem. This is not just a political arena problem or a cultural or neighborhood. This is a problem that unfortunately has infiltrated its way and in some cases even started in the the church structure. Um, and a lot of it has to do with a Again, bad theology hurts people, and this is exactly what we see. When we do not have the understanding, first of all, of what it what Imago Dei means and being made in the image of God, then it allows for us to start doing some of these things, whether it's conscious or not. It allows for these kind of things to start creeping in. You know, you may think that you're saying, oh, well, we just won't go over into that neighborhood because you're you're worried about the safety of the building or the the kids or what have you, which just by itself sounds like pretty smart reasoning and good thinking. But you're missing the fact that you're doing it primarily because the the perception of that community is that not only are they in trouble, but they don't want help or they don't want help from the white person. At that point, you completely flip the narrative, and now all the racial stuff is on the black side, not on the white side, and you're just the innocent victim, which again goes into the appropriation and and the mixing of all that. You know, we've talked about it a couple of times on here, and we'll talk about it with, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it with you here also, Chalmer, of the idea of, you know, there are unfortunately some some church planting organizations that will not touch specific neighborhoods that are only in that situation due to redlining. And when that mm. when that happens, now you have an entire another generation of people that are wanting to have a better, you know, a better circumstance because they didn't create this circumstance. They want a better circumstance, and we know that the gospel is going to be the thing that's going to give them that better circumstance. But now you've completely alienated another generation from that and blocked them from even having it. Cause I don't know. I don't know, Charlie, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you were growing up, how many, how many churches did you have in your community? You know, there was, there was a handful. I mean, there was, there was a handful of, of churches that were in my community. I mean, I could probably think of at least four or five, but again, they were, they were catering to the, the, the community. Uh, so, you know, you walk in a church, it would be, you know, predominantly black and Hispanic or all black or all Hispanic and, you know, a couple of, a couple of, uh, you know, white people sprinkled in there. Um, and probably under resourced and understaffed as well. I would assume. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's it's really hard for me to speak on that because again, my parents, we didn't go to the church within our community. We went to a church outside of our community. But even that church, I mean, that church was. I mean, I don't know how understaffed it was. I mean, it was pretty nice to me as a kid. 
I mean, it wasn't a mega church, but it wasn't like a storefront church either. Right. But I think to your point, I think what you're saying is, is that, you know, to, to, to constantly deal with lack of resources, uh, to constantly feel like, well, this church plan is not going to go here because of the, the demographics of the community or the low income. What you're really saying, if we go back to the Bible, you're, you're really becoming a modern day Pharisee or Sadducee. Right. That's what you're really becoming, because that's why Jesus, that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so pissed off at Jesus, because he dealt with everybody. It didn't matter if you if you weren't from Jewish descent. It didn't matter if you did this or did that. He's just like, come on. We're, you know, it's really a literal... You're literally whitewashed tombs in this case. Um, you know, to to borrow the the phrase that you know we we see in the reality of history of whitewashing it, of Europeanizing it, you know, Americanizing it, whatever you want to call it. You know, when when we and and this is this is one of the the big pieces that you you talked about earlier, even with the assimilation of everything. Is even you know the this idea of privilege, which you know a lot of people don't want to address or talk about because it makes us sound like even if I'm in a bad situation because I'm white, I'm more privileged than Chalmer. Well, the reality mm-hmm. is that I have more. I you know I don't have to fear nearly as much if there's you know squad car behind me as Chalmer does. I don't have to fear nearly as much of the fact that. You know, he and I go up for a, you know, a podcasting award against each other. His content may be a thousand times better, but depending on what the listening ear is wanting, his voice could be the only thing that changes the results. Those sort of things are not anything that I'm constantly doing myself. It's not anything that I'm, I have affected at all, but yet I get the benefits of it. And it's not even something that I necessarily even recognize but yeah, I get, I get the benefits of it. And this is why when Bradley was on, we talked about the need for, and, and this is where we start breaking down the theological truths of the need for humbleness and honesty of what the situation actually is. And this, this isn't just a white thing. This isn't just a black thing. This is a, if we are actually saying as Christians, we want to see change happen that we have to start with humility of the fact that if I, uh, you know, if I, in order for Chalmer to have a voice to be heard, I, as a white pastor or a white, you know, in this case, white podcaster have to give him airtime and have to, you know, admit the fact that I've been privileged in some way, just because I'm a white male born in America I've got to be willing to do that because that's what we see Jesus do. When he goes into Sicker and sees the Samaritan woman, he goes and humbles himself enough as a rabbi and as a man to sit there and talk with this Samaritan and with this woman who was in a situation that she may not have even caused herself. But yet here she is at the well needing Jesus and Jesus humbles himself enough to allow her to ask the question that needed to be asked or to say the statement that needed to be said. Um, you know, Chalmer, this is one other thing I want to ask you, because I've not actually gotten to ask anybody about this before, but this is something that I've always just been kind of like, I don't think we recognize enough what we're actually saying. 
when when you have heard um whether recently or in the past of the church's take on the the whole idea of racial reconciliation or ethnic reconciliation the phrase we all bleed the same on the inside is that how how do you take that um just as, as a black male that has recognized and seen and is raising black children and everything, how do you actually see when you see the white church, the white pastor making a statement from the pulpit of, well, we've just got to remember we all have the same blood inside of us. What, you know, give us some insight. What does that actually do for you as a black male in the U S? I mean, you know, just speaking for me, I think it, I think what it does is it it allows you to say something safe and it allows you to avoid the situation. Now, from, you know, a human standpoint, do we all bleed the same blood? Yes. Okay, my blood is red. Your blood is red. We we hurt. But I think. Again, like I spoke to Cora on the Grand Mercy podcast, it's like having two pair of glasses and somebody stepping on one of them and then not stepping on the other. You stepping on one of the glasses and then you put the glasses on. Sure, you can see racism. You might be able to see something. You might be able to recognize something. But the the, the people that experience it, whether uh, overt or convert, uh, are the ones that have the clear glasses on that see it in real time and see it every day. So, you know, I would say that when you say that, it's just like, it's like sweeping it under the rug and not really addressing, uh, the, the issue, but just addressing it on a surface level to avoid uh, feeling white guilt. And I, I want to take that one step further and say how this is, you know, and, and we're not even saying this because we want to make you feel bad if you're one that has said this before or preached this before. But, you know, there, there's another theological side to this that we've got to recognize. And that's the fact that if you are, boiling down why you're saying you are not a racist to, well, we all bleed the same, then you are still only wanting to deal with this on a physical level and not a spiritual level. Absolutely. Because the reality is what we see and, you know, we, we see this in multiple of Paul's letters, but, you know, when he talks about, you know, no longer, you know, slave or free male or female Jew or Greek, all this stuff, the divide is not saying, well, there is none of this anymore, or there is no sexism, or there is no racism. You know, Paul talks about the fact that we are, you know, there is one race that is superior, and that's a holy race. And so it's not about the blood on the inside. It's about whether you're covered by the blood of Christ or not. There you and go. That's you the go. divide that we've got to start looking at is, okay, is this, is, is this, Chalmer, my brother, and that is saved by the same blood I am, or is this Chalmer who I have on the podcast just so that way you say I've had another black guest and not really actually deal with the heart of the issue? 
and, and this is the, and we're going to take this one step further before we, we lose sight of reality. Paul says, you know, there's one holy race and this race is superior, but this is the same race that is called by God in Micah 6 to seek justice, love mercy, and then to walk humbly. There you and go. So even though we are a superior race by being saved by Christ, we are to walk humbly because it's not us that did anything. It's all about what Jesus did for us. And once we Absolutely. start recognizing the world from the framework of, I, you know, my privilege and my cultural privilege may come from my skin color, but my spiritual privilege comes from the sacrifice that Christ, that Christ did for me. My identity no longer is found in the fact that I'm a white male. My identity is found in the fact that I am saved by God and saved by Christ and that I get to, I get to have that kind of relationship with God and I get to have this kind of relationship with my brother Chalmer. And then the other side of that is that then now my responsibility is to use the privilege I have both culturally and spiritually to help Chalmer have a platform to be able to be seen culturally in the same way that we see him and that God sees him in the light of the church and the light of the sacrifice of Jesus. So hopefully this was beneficial. I know we, I think we went a little bit long. Hopefully this was beneficial for you. Again, Chalmer, let us know where we can find all of your stuff at. Um, you can find me a uh, number of different ways. Uh, you can just start with social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can even find me on LinkedIn by just typing in my name, Chalmer Williams, S-C-H-A-L. M E R, um, last name Williams. Uh, have a website www.fatherhoodfridays uh, with an S dot com. Uh, you can find me there and listen to all of the episodes from seasons one through five. Um, YouTube. Um, I'm trying to think of something else. Uh, there's my where, book, Fighting for yeah, a Laugh. That's what I was going to say. Where can we find people that are interested in your books? Where can they uh, purchase those at? Well, my first book right now, Fighting for a Laugh, is on Amazon, $8.99, paperback or digital. Um, so that's that's where it's at. Um, as of right now, uh, you, you guys that are listening, continue to pray for me and come in agreement with me that maybe that uh, book can turn into a movie because I have a movie script for it. And so those are the number of different ways you can find me, um, unless you're in Texas. You can, that's where I live, and you can come find me there too. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, again, we'll we'll have links to all this in the descriptions on Facebook, YouTube, and in the the show notes for for all the podcasts. Um, the, those of you that are, have not yet but are interested in it, follow Ministry Misfits on Twitter at Ministry Misfit, Instagram at Ministry Misfit. Um, we're on Facebook, Ministry Misfit Media. You can follow the YouTube channel, the Facebook. We're on all major audio platforms as well as iHeartRadio and Overwhelming Victory Radio as well. Um, those of you that would be interested in possibly supporting us financially, you can do that through our web, our, our spot on anchor.fm backslash ministry misfit. Or if you'd rather do it and get some tax credit, you can go to csrm.org backslash donate. Click on the don't click on the button. They'll take you to the actual donation page. And you just select Andrew Fouts in the drop-down menu. And that not only will support me and Mr. Misfits, but also support the international work we're doing through CSRM and through Overwhelming Victory. So 
Chalmer, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your heart, both for just men in general, and then also for um, the African-American community and the African-American church. Go check out his stuff. Go read his book. Be praying that this movie deal can come through so that those of us that don't like to read can also watch it. And we will see you next time. Ministry Misfits Podcast is a production of Overwhelming Victory Flicks, Overwhelming Victory Radio, and Ministry Misfits Media. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers, and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. Our music is provided by Morning Light Music and is titled Rain. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com or by following at ministrymisfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can support Ministry Misfits at anchor.fm forward slash ministry misfits or for a FO1C3 credit by going to csrm.org forward slash donate and selecting Andrew Fouts in the campaign menu. To learn more about Overwhelming Victory or to listen to our sister podcast, visit overwhelmingvictory.org.